it was all sort of hyped up or, you know, the algorithm has decided this, you know, the algorithms made this really rubbish decision. But of course, it wasn't the algorithm, you know, it was the programmers who wrote the algorithm. I think one of the biggest challenges is a programmer's unconscious biases. That it is, of course, all the algorithm's fault. <laughs> Welcome to Hello World, a podcast for educators interested in computing and digital making. I'm Carrie-Anne Philbin, a computing content creator for the Raspberry Pi Foundation, currently leading the development of the Teach Computing curriculum. And I'm James Robinson, a computing educator. I'm working on projects promoting effective pedagogy within the subject. If you want to support our show, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Today, we're diving into ethics in computing, and I have a question for you, James. How moral is your computer? Oh, that's that's a, such a tough question for a Monday afternoon, Carrie-Anne. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult question. I think there's two, a couple of ways we could answer that. Um, we might look at, when we think about computers, uh, we might just simply look at them as, as tools to help us do things, to create things. And so we might think, well, actually, how can a machine be moral? How does morality or ethics come into it at all but i think where it gets a little bit interesting is that unlike lots of tools you know human beings as a species we invent tools all the time to do things for us a computer is one of the first tools that we've used to actually do some of our thinking for us and decision making and the moment we start to kind of outsource our decision making or thinking that actually that's where morals and ethics become really, really important. Um, and some of those decisions might be really simple, like what should I watch next on my streaming service? Or to, to really complicated things like which route shall I take and whose life shall I risk in this automated self-driving car? You know, all of these decisions are really important, but um, some are, are more important than others. So what are your thoughts on the topic, carry on? Well, I noticed you managed to completely bypass my question there and not actually answer it at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's not like me, Carrie Anne. I'm normally very direct. And, and... <laughs> well, I think uh, right now my machine is not very moral at all. I'm not sure that my computer or my phone necessarily has uh, the capability to make decisions and therefore have morals at this point. But I'm guessing some of our guests might argue with me about that. Um, but I do see uh, social media kind of giving me recommendations. Uh, you talk about Netflix, you know, some of the services that I use starting to recommend or make decisions for me. And I, I definitely do see that as a sort of uh, sliding stepping stone scale towards ambiguity. And that makes me very, very nervous. So I, I can definitely see it from that point of view. But I think really... I want to understand more about what are the questions that I need to be asking? Why should I care about it? And I guess more importantly, how can I talk to students and young people about this that both makes them interested and excited about it, but also makes them really understand and connect what they're learning in computing with what is happening around them at the moment and in the future? And I think something else you mentioned there was that sort of I think nervousness and I think there are a lot of people out there that maybe aren't as informed about about uh computing and morality and ethics and the importance this plays and actually there are some people that are quite fearful about the role that AI might play in the future and that might include some of the you know some people from the older generations but also some young people will be quite fearful and so I think it's in, imperative that as educators we inform them we give them that that knowledge to empower them and feel secure in their future where AI is going to play an ever-increasing role. 
I mean, I'm, I'm constantly terrified of how the computer from 2001 Space Oddity becoming a reality and find myself jettisoned from an airlock. Um, but maybe we're, we're, I mean, maybe that is around the corner, but maybe we're a little bit far away from that at the moment. But it is a constant um, worry. Luckily, James, we don't have to worry about this too much because we've been joined by two amazing guests who are going to help us solve this riddle. We've been joined by Diane Dowling of the Raspberry Pi Foundation, who's currently working on Isaac Computer Science and wrote an article on ethics in computer science in issue 13 of Hello World magazine. Diane, can machines be moral? Well, Carrie-Anne, that is an amazing question. <laughs> um, so, yes, I believe they can. I mean, that's, you know, fundamentally, I believe they can. But I think there is a huge responsibility on us as computer scientists to make sure that they do make correct moral judgments. And I think the really big thing that we have to do is to really understand, you know, what computers are currently good at and what they're not so good at. And the way that currently computers make decisions, because clearly things will change and it's a, it's early days for this. But um, my appetite or, you know, was wetted for the subject actually some time ago when I went to the Science Museum and there was a little section on artificial intelligence. And part of that display was um, a project from the MIT in the States uh, that was actually collecting data. So that in itself was quite interesting because obviously when you're, you take the students and you direct them towards it, immediately you encourage them to give over their data. But the project was the one about the driverless cars, you know, and you had to say what decisions you would make when you were faced with a particular dilemma. So on the screen in front of you, it popped up, first of all, with some quite easy decisions, you know, as to, you know, basically you could swipe to the left or swipe to the right. You were always given two choices. Um, and basically the choice was which one were you going to hit? So, for example, it, in the early decisions, it was things like, you know, you're going to hit a tree or a wall. Um, and then it started to be um, real things that you were hitting real people. You know, so you had a choice, maybe an older person or a younger person, a cat or a dog. And it was remarkably tricky because clearly as a driver, it's possible for me to have to make that choice, but I would never really sit there and think about it beforehand. It would be a split level decision. Uh, but that was really where my interest was peaked. And I started to really think about these moral questions that computers in the future would have to make. Thanks, Diane. Um, we're also joined by um, Mark Scott, who's a, a teacher and passionate about open education resources and also ethics in computing. Um, and so, Mark, Diane's sort of gone some way to answer this question already, but what kinds of ethical dilemmas might we be asking machines in the future to solve for us? I think uh, in, until we get to the situation where we have um, what's known as strong artificial intelligence, so artificial intelligence that can actually make reasoned decisions on its own, um, I don't think machines really get to make ethical decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, the machines follow um, programming instructions and a programmer has typed those instructions into the machine. So uh, when it comes down to it, it's the programmer that's always making the ethical decisions. The machine is going to um, choose, for instance, in Diane's example, whether to move left or right based on a set of rules that has been provided by the programmer. So the programmer has made the ethical decision about what the machine is going to do and the machine is just following those instructions um this happens at the moment this is happening right now the boeing 737 max i think it was aircraft had a series of recent disasters because the machine was making decisions and overriding what the pilot 
thought the, the plane should be doing. So when the, the machine, the, the computer on the plane thought that the plane was climbing too steeply and the computer program overrode the pilot's decision to climb the plane and decided instead to, uh, to basically crash the plane and the pilot had no ability to override it. And that's simply because of a faulty sensor. But the, the programmers of that computer program had made that decision that based on sensor data, the plane would either climb or descend. They, it was the programmer that was making the ethical decision, not the computer. Um, and hopefully we'll get into the difference between what ethics and morals are a, a little bit later. So, Diane, you know, listening to Mark, it sounds like these might be just concerns that programmers have right now or programmers of the future may have. Why should we or why should our students kind of care now about this question? Well, here in the UK, we've had a really great example recently, which is topical to every young person. I'm sure it's similar in other countries because of the global pandemic exams. So formal exams have been cancelled and they've been cancelled again this year. And the decision that was taken, that an algorithm would make the decision about the final grades that the students got. And that actually exposed a lot of issues. As Mark said, it's very, it was all sort of hyped up or, you know, the algorithm has decided this, you know, the algorithms made this really rubbish decision. But of course, it wasn't the algorithm, you know, it was the programmers who wrote the algorithm. This is something that, you know, is really interesting to debate with young people, because actually as a, as a response to that and as a response to the sort of hatred almost of the algorithm, then this year in the UK, it's been decided that teachers will make the grade assessments. And of course, you know, that's left teachers quaking in their boots. You know, it's a huge responsibility for individual teachers to have to do this. You know, so I think it's a great area for debate as the fact is that algorithm is less subjective. You know, once you've programmed it with the rules, so long as the rules have been programmed correctly, hopefully it will make the correct decision. I mean, clearly it would have been a lot better if it had been well tested beforehand. But going back to your question, Carrie-Anne, I mean, this is something that students can, you know, they can understand, they can engage in and they can they can really get the idea of a computer making the decision, which is far more relevant to them than something like driverless cars, because most of them won't drive yet. And I think that's a really interesting point you make there, like that example about the the, the the exam results from this year, in that, and as Mark alluded to, somebody has made that decision, right? At some point, somebody has sat down and designed the algorithm, the data model that is going to help the computer make those decisions and put student A in category one or category two, given grade, you know, a certain grade or another grade. Um, and I think maybe what's unnerving for people is the fact that that decision is being made en masse by one or two people, you know, or a small group of people, rather than that their, their sort of situation being judged at an individual level by somebody that knows them. And so maybe it's, it's sort of, yeah, there's it's sort of compounded by that maybe, I think, as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, Mark, you alluded to the sort of maybe some difference between ethics and and morals. Uh, do you want to kind of delve into that a little bit further? Because I find this really interesting. The fact that you know, I think these two words people might associate as being the same thing, but there is there is kind of a fundamental difference there. What do the two words mean to you, Mark? Well, it is just what they mean to me, and not necessarily what they mean to everyone. So I'm I'm not going to put words into any philosopher's mouth or anything. It's just this is just what I feel. I. Morals are whether something is right or wrong, whether an action 
generally is right or wrong. Um, and there's a huge amount of culture that goes into those decisions. So if, if you live in a country or you're brought up in a country that major religion is one of the Abrahamic faiths, for instance, the chances are most of the Ten Commandments probably resonate with you in some way. So thou shall not steal is that's a moral thing. Whether you should steal or not, it's, it's, mo- it's immoral to steal. Yeah. If you were raised in, in, in Sparta, in ancient Greece, as a, as a young boy, you were taught that stealing was an absolute positive thing and you were encouraged to do it. So stealing was moral. Always with morality, I see it as a, there's a very binary choice. Something is either moral or immoral. It's, it, it's a set of actions. On a slightly different side, there's legality as well. So you can have something as legal or illegal. They're, again, very binary decisions. You, you know, these are rules written by people in power they're not necessarily moral okay legality and morality doesn't they, they don't necessarily you can have laws that are um, immoral so you can have actions that are immoral but legal and actions that are moral but illegal ethics is completely different though ethics is where you're you're weighing up the pros and cons of multiple decisions so again going back to a ten commandment thing thou shall not kill is you know killing is immoral however killing one person to save the lives of 10 people that might be immoral but it might be ethical um so when you're making ethical decisions you're taking everything around you're weighing up lots of moral immoral decisions maybe lots of legal and illegal decisions you know you can break break the law but perform a very moral act um, and this is where computers are going to really struggle with ethics okay so it's moral to give to charity yeah that that's our moral everyone would more or less universally agree it's morally good to give to charity so if you program a computer to take control of your bank account and act morally it could run amok and just end up giving all your money to charity and that's a moral thing but then you and you and children end up going hungry because you've got no money so it was an unethical action for the computer to do and similarly like me giving that's where ethics becomes really really tricky you've got there's there's so many different inputs into ethics that humans are really good at doing we can instantly make that decision we can instantly make that judgment call me giving 100 pounds to charity is a good thing jeff bezos giving 100 pounds to charity is like meh so what all right so it, you know, it, clearly the questions around kind of ethics versus morals, and question around these sort of dilemmas, you know, these are ways in which these are topics and discussions which really um, bring a lot of relevance to computer science to our young people by the sounds of things. What are the concepts and the issues that we need to teach our young people so that they can understand? Uh, this sort of area of debate, Diane? I think one of the big things that is lacking at the moment is that informed consent for your data. I think it's really, you know, we all have to give consent to hand over our data. And we all know that we have to give that consent. And we know that Data Protection Acts in their various forms are there to protect us. But one of the big problems is that when we hand over our data, there's so much, you know, there's so much... um, stuff that you have to read about how that data is being used, that nobody ever reads it. So, you know, I I give my data currently, um, you know, I'm happy to hand over my health data. So I have a Fitbit um, device that measures, you know, my steps and my heart rate, stuff like that. And at some point, I think because obviously a lot of people are doing a lot of um, analysis at the moment on people's well-being, I said, yeah, you can have the data from my Fitbit. Now, that data 
you know, probably will be used in the future to make, you know, to as part of one of these kind of decision-making processes. There'll be data in there, you know, saying this person of this age, you know, is this fit on average and therefore, you know, we can give this treatment or this course of action. And I, I, because I love technology, I was happy to give my data, but I think we need to explain far more to people exactly how their data might be used in the future, you know, exactly how it might be used and particularly this data that you're handing over for research purposes. I think we need to make that far more transparent. We need to educate people. You know, uh, morals and ethics and legal, as Mark said, have been on the curriculum for a long, long time. But it's really only now that you're starting to really see some really nitty gritty decisions that, you know, maybe will arise from the data that you're handing over. So I think basically it should be a bigger part of the curriculum. People should be debating it. You know, they should be discussing it and, you know, they should be really thinking about them, particularly when we're teaching computer science. The young people we're teaching are going to be the computer scientists in the future. They will actually be, have, you know, working on systems that make these decisions. Um, I think one of the biggest problems is, well, I said at the beginning that computers and computer programs don't make ethical decisions. That's often down to the programmer. And I think one of the biggest challenges is a programmer's unconscious biases and how they come into what decisions their computer programs make. We've seen this a huge amount in machine learning at the moment. There's been quite a lot of controversy over facial recognition software, um, that, that, that in some cases is informing the police over who is the criminal suspect and who is not the criminal suspect. But based on the training data that humans provided to the machine, the um, underlying algorithm that comes out of the machine learning model ends up to inherit those same biases as a programmer. Um, and that can happen a huge amount. So it's really a lot of it's about training programmers and um, making sure that programmers are aware of their unconscious biases so that they don't enter into the, the work that they're producing. Um, I think that's really interesting, Mark, because um, earlier on we were talking about uh, programmers being the ones making decisions. And then the examples we're talking about there where machine learning is involved, where machines are kind of looking at a massive data set and making some, you know, surfacing some insights based on that data set. There isn't necessarily a decision, an active decision by the programmer. It might just simply be that the the data that you put in determines the decision that you get out or the, the sort of the learning that you get out. And so it's about making sure that the, the data we feed the system, we train the system on, is as representative and unbiased as possible. Um, and that I think that's a, that's a really great point that you make there. I think it's, you know, there are lots of really good examples out there in the media at the moment that, that teachers can draw upon to discuss with their with their classes. Yeah, it's not difficult to imagine a situation where a self-driving car in the future, because of the data it's been trained on, ends up always avoiding and saving the lives of a certain demographic, but ignoring another demographic just because of the of the training data that's been provided and so obviously the machines then very is making incorrect decisions that are very very unethical but it's it's the fault of the programmer and the training data that they provided to the machine yeah i think i'd also argue that not only should we be feeding you know the right data and, and having considerations around that i'd also argue that the reason why we should talk about this with young people within a formal learning context is because, you know, that is where there is diversity and to really inspire those young people to want to go into technology and become those programmers of the future, I think will help ensure 
that there is a diverse representation across, particularly machine learning and AI. Um, so I would argue it's, it's important that we really carve out some time in our curricula, in our school days and weeks to, to find opportunities to kind of dive into, into these topics. So, you know, how do we go about doing this? How, when is a good time to introduce ethics in computing? What's the right age? What's the best way? What tips do you have? What advice do you have to teachers to kind of start driving these conversations? From my own experience, I've only taught um, 16 to 19. So, you know, to some extent, when you introduce it is, you know, maybe hard for me to answer. Although I know that, you know, students, even at junior school, um, so that in the UK, that's um, up to age 11, you know, they will have philosophy, you know, they will, they will do philosophy and ethics, I think, as a subject, you know, maybe as part of another bigger subject, but certainly, you know, I think those conversations are already going on, but maybe not really in the context of computer science. So maybe, you know, some of that is making sure that, you know, other teachers are maybe are aware of, you know, what's on the horizon and can maybe, you know, tweak the content so that it is appropriate to computer science as well. One thing that I used to do um, in terms of introducing the subject of morals to my students was nothing really to do with computer science, but just asking them whether they would read their sibling's diary. You know, so you see a diary, you know, sitting, you know, they've left their diary out, you know, would you pick it up and read it? I just got them to do some voting on it. And it's really interesting. And then, you know, to actually explore the reasons why, you know, some of them would not, you know, and, and it's kind of one of those things that, you know, it's really simple. Everybody understands it, um, but it sort of opens up a discussion about morality and where we get our codes of practice from. Yeah, it was fun and quite engaging and, you know, led to some good arguments in the class. And then you could obviously build on that, you know, to tackle some more tricky issues. The, the one thing I would say is, and I think I made this point in the article, is that there are a lot of quite sensitive issues around morality and ethics. In fact, the one that Mark used earlier of the plane, you know, you've got to be very conscious of the fact that some people might get quite upset by some of these discussions. And I think as a teacher, obviously, you know, you've got to handle these situations skillfully. But this isn't just this topic. But this is true for many areas of teaching. And you, you mentioned something there, um, Diane, that kind of as a as a trained maths teacher and computer scientist, like who's very, very used to sort of binary kind of answers. I think the, dis- the D word discussion, I think maybe is something that might make a few teachers of the subject a little bit uncomfortable. Um, so do either of you have any kind of advice as to um, really interesting kind of practices or practical activities that can help teachers bring this subject alive particularly if they're maybe slightly nervous of engaging with this slightly sensitive very talky kind of topic any thoughts from either of you i mean the last time i taught this was at at the secondary school and i taught at gs sevens and gs eights and the way i introduced it was through um the famous trolley problem about whether you with a trolley going down the train going down the track and whether you pull the lever to make it avoid somebody and then ends up killing another three people. Um, I had an excellent, excellent lesson on it. I wasn't the centre of the discussion, so the way I approached it was I, I, um, I gave them the trolley problem. I explained the trolley problem to them, and then I had the children use whiteboards to write down what their what their feelings about it were, what their decision would be, um, and then they then discussed in in small groups, um, and then eventually reported back, and then just increased the dilemma each time, just made it more and more and more difficult for them to try and make decisions um but kept it very much that they were 
they were the ones they were the ones doing the talking and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily led by me i think if you're going to introduce it i mean that the trolley problem is a little bit hackneyed now and a little bit old and it almost instantly relates to self-driving cars which to be quite honest the average eight and nine year old doesn't care about at all but things like a youtube recommendation system is like is really relevant to them children do not listen to the radio anymore and they do not have top of the pops which is just like stunning that they don't have that access to, 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 to the latest top top music um so they're getting their music mainly through youtube and my own son enters a, has entered a feedback loop where he's now into um swing music from like the 1920s and 30s because of a youtube feedback loop yeah so he listens to one track a few times he likes it and it feeds into that and it feeds into that children will be really well aware of this and how cliquey they can become about their music and the and the shows that they like because of the youtube feedback loop and then you can instantly flip that over to start talking about some of the more negative aspects of that so for an example the netflix recommendation system for me i watched an incredibly tactful and lovely documentary about flat earthers but at the end of the day was about how flat earthers are generally wrong but it treated it in a really delicate matter in a delicate manner it was really good but because i watched a movie a documentary about a conspiracy theory the next recommendation from netflix was alien autopsies <laughs> now it's very easy to fall into that that rabbit hole of going down the conspiracy route and end up through your YouTube recommendations. So that's that's something that children will understand. They understand these recommendation systems, but you can show them how those recommendation systems can lead people on very, very dark paths. I mean, I wouldn't look at my Netflix recommendations because they are all toddler, <laughs> you know, cartoons <laughs> that would resonate with a sort of three to four-year-old audience and not really much else, uh, which means I don't get to watch anything that's cool at the moment. But there you are. Uh, all that toddler stuff's cool. <laughs> um, so we're kind of touching upon pedagogy there, which is really interesting. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of sort of IT and, and computer science teachers may have developed pedagogies that are very specific to those subjects. And I think that there are lots of ways that we can develop and broaden our, our sort of teaching practice, either by sort of online courses. There's a great one on FutureLearn at the moment called How to Lead Classroom Discussions, which is from uh, Raspberry Pi. Um, but also maybe looking at other subjects and the teachers and the sort of practices they use there. Are there any kind of subject areas or teachers that you as as practitioners would, would sort of look at or observe, Mark and Diane? Well, my wife's an English teacher, so I'll go straight to English as a subject. When you're doing any kind of literary analysis, you're always looking at like motivations of characters and things like that. And ethics and morality comes into a, a, a lot. Yeah, look at Macbeth and and the ethics and mora morality of, of Lady Macbeth and why she did what she did. Go go watch some history lessons because that's full of morality and ethics and why people make decisions and often those very, very difficult decisions, ethical decisions where leaders, um, politicians, generals are making decisions that are definitely immoral, but maybe ethically correct. And I think again, yeah, well, post-16 psychology is a great one to go and visit because um, any psychology experiment is always going to be guided by some kind of code of ethics um, because, you know, there's so many of them have expose many ethical issues so again you know i found that quite useful or interesting in the staff room even 
debating with psychologists and also post-16 law. You know, so if you have a law department, um, they can be really helpful. And I think, again, going back to something really early, where, which Mark said about the legal issues. So, you know, it isn't just morality and ethics. It is also legal and making sure that students understand the difference between the three is really helpful. Um, but, yeah, we've got loads to learn. And I think it's it's great for computer science classes, which tend to be you know generally stuck in front of a computer system, certainly as they progress through their education to actually introduce some of these um, more lively discussions and debate in the classroom and to draw on best practice of your colleagues is really helpful. We also took some questions to you, our audience, to find out your thoughts on this topic. We asked, what do your students think about ethics in computing and how do you approach the subject? Advanced ICT on Twitter said, I discuss news items with the students and create a list of my favourites. And there's a lovely comment here from Miss M Computing, um, who talks a little bit about, um, similar to what Diane was saying, and she starts by posing some general ethical dilemma questions for the class to discuss. They also use MIT's Moral Machine to help link ethical issues with CS and algorithms and get students debating the issues that arrive arise from it. Um, and then they look at sort of uh, investigating the use of robotics, etc. MCA CompSci says that what they do is they check uh, their, their breaking news whatever service that they use, technology section, and then they use that uh, to base their classroom discussions on. If you have a question for us or a comment about our discussion today, then you can email us at contact at helloworld.cc or at helloworld underscore edu on Twitter. My thanks to Diane Dowling and Mark Scott from the Raspberry Pi Foundation for joining us for today's discussion, which leaves me with just one final question. James, what did we learn today? Well, personally, I found the whole discussion around ethics, morality, legality, and the kind of having a really firm understanding of those topics and how machines will struggle to kind of deal with them is a really fundamental kind of uh, challenge for our students to understand. So yeah, that was, that was my sort of takeaway from today. Um, what about yourself, Carrie? Well, I've learned that it is, of course, all the algorithm's fault. 